Welcome to Absent Father Podcast, a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts in all areas of our life, of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers that we create along the way. I'm your host, Rodney Miller, executive coach, MBA, and son of an absent father. You can learn more about me and get in touch by visiting www.rodneymuller.com or by email at me at rodneymuller.com. We got greatness by choice. We got gravity by chance. All right, welcome to another episode of the Absent Father podcast. Again, I'm your host, Rodney Miller. I am very excited about today's episode. We are going to talk about uh, access to forgiveness, uh, uh, healing, completion, how to really really come to terms with or to uh, become peaceful about uh, whatever you experienced in your in your childhood and where I'd like to start before we dive right in is just kind of talk about kind of my journey of my experience uh, of my relationship with my father and you know as I shared in the first episode talking about my story uh, just give you a quick summary is that um, essentially my mom told my father who, who was, who they were dating at the time that she was pregnant. And that was pretty much the last, uh, that we heard of my father, uh, never saw a picture of him, never talked to him, um, until never knew where he lived, uh, until I met him for the first time at the age of 13. Uh, we never really had a relationship. I touched base with him a few other times, uh, until he passed away about, five years ago. But what I want to talk about is kind of the journey of my relationship. I hope it offers you some insights into um, how you related to your father uh, if they were absent or distant. And the way it started, apparently my first word as a child was dad, which is funny because there wasn't one around. Um, but I think it illustrates, you know, at a young age, even uh, even though I didn't have words and I shouldn't really have known how it goes, apparently a small part of me still noticed that, you know, people tend to have a mom and a dad. And, you know, again, not having the language for it or necessarily understanding, I think that I did feel uh, somewhat uh, sad, <laughs> Uh, that might sound obvious, but sad about the fact that I didn't uh, have a father. But the first thing that I remember, and I, I didn't really recall this until I started to kind of dive into this and dive into this episode, but I used to have a, a saying, um, you know, as five or six or seven, probably up to the age of, uh, you know, into my teens, um, maybe until I met my father, that when I met him, what I was going to do was kick him in the balls. That was my story. I was, uh, you know, they'd say, well, wow, what would, you know, if you met your father, or I'd say, if I'd ever meet him, the first thing I would do is kick him in the balls. And, you know, I think it's kind of funny to think back about that now. Uh, it was kind of a, a childish way of expressing my anger. And... 
I think what it characterized is that at that stage, I was angry. I didn't really know how to express it. I probably didn't even know that I was angry. I just thought that that was, you know, something that uh, would be fair. Um, And then I'd say that around uh, somewhere in high school, uh, maybe shortly after meeting my father and realizing and kind of coming to terms with the fact that there really wasn't going to be a relationship, I did what I think most people do when they give up on a dream or they give up on a fantasy is that they just kind of, they kind of get over it, but they're not really over it. So in my case, what that looked like is um, I was no longer angry. I was no longer really talking about, well, uh, you know, if I met him, I'd kick him in the balls. It was more like this intellectual... um, uh, way of dealing with it, which was to say, you know, I'm over it. Um, the little that I knew about my father, I don't think it would have been a good thing in my life. And so I thought, you know, I'm over it. I'm not going to feel feelings about it. Um, I'm going to move through life and really, um, for the most part, I really convinced myself that I was over it. And that there wasn't, there was no longer any emotions about growing up with an absent father. And I, I rode that concept that there was nothing, uh, no longer impacting me uh, from growing up with an absent father. There was no more impact. I was just, quote unquote, over it. Um, but until I realized, until it surfaced in other ways, until it surfaced in, you know, there was disconnection in relationships, or I realized that I wasn't experiencing much joy, or as I talked about when I when I started the Absent Father Project uh, back in 2012, um, I was at a point where in my business, um, I just could not move through this glass ceiling or glass wall. I was just stuck. And... Of course, then I realized maybe there was something else here to for me to look at. But literally from the age of like 15 to the age of 28, um, I just thought I was over it. It was, it was in the past. It was done with. I didn't even think about it much. Um, but now looking back, I can see that it showed up in a whole bunch of kind of crazy ways, whether it was the obsession with working hard um, or the the kind of cycle or pattern of, of being really inspired and motivated to being really depressed and checked out. Um, or it was, uh, you know, when I was going through uh, my early 20s and in college, you know, pretty heavily drinking, which I think we'll talk about in, a, in another episode. But I realized that because I had shut down all of my sadness and anger around this area, I also shut down the rest of my feelings, uh, including joy, which the only natural expression of that, because human beings are joyful, we yearn for joy, we join, we yearn for play. Um, the way that I found an outlet was through drinking to the point of letting go of the control so that I could experience joy. Um, so all that to say, you know, in good ways and in bad ways, that um, my the impact, although consciously I was saying I was over it, it was 
eking out or showing up in other behaviors that just didn't serve me, that, that weren't um, healthy for me. And unfortunately, a lot of people, uh, including me, because I don't, I'm not sure that um, until we are the highest expression of ourselves, and we all have a sense of when we're limited or capped in some way, but the most loving, the most connected, the most powerful, the most creative, until we are that, there's likely some healing work to do, uh, whether it's with other people in our lives or, or ourselves. And oftentimes ourselves are the hardest to make peace with, but we'll talk about that in a second. So fortunately for me, I always say that, you know, the biggest pain in the ass about my business, about the work that I do, is that it has essentially as a, as a coach and in, in a many service professions or creative professions or helping professions, um, when you are uh, doing your work, you're not selling or asking for uh, money or receiving a value based on a product, um, based on the tangible value of a pin. What you're asking for is people to... Uh, see the value in just who you are, and then, you know, you provide that service and they pay you for that. And the reason that's a pain in the ass is because people that have absent or distant fathers often have a, uh, a challenge in relating to themselves as worthy and valuable just for who they are, not for their hard work or because, you know, they put something into a product. And so I just share that because the, the real fortune for me while also being a total pain in the ass for me, is that my business, my profession, my vocation required, demanded that I address this, that I not operate on top of um, unhealed wounds, on top of anger, on top of sadness. And it's a pain in the ass because that's hard work. It, it can be hard work to wade into that and to... Um, do the hard work to address what's really there. Um, especially because, you know, I think that particularly with people who grew up with an absent or distant father, um, somewhere along the way we learn that anger is dangerous, sadness is um, too vulnerable, it's too messy. And, you know, we'd prefer to just kind of keep our anger and sadness pushed way down so that we're not too much for, for the people that are around us so that they don't leave. So luckily, my business pushed me in this direction. But the sad thing is that I see that a lot of people um, live their entire life on top of this pain live their entire life on top of this anger and sadness from uh, that started as a child, that, that started um, as a really young person. Um, and if it didn't start as a child, you know, whether it started with an ex or uh, somebody that really wronged you or some ways that life didn't work out, uh, it's really sad that a lot of us still operate on top of 
um, that pain. And we think that nobody else can see it, but surprise, we can all see it. Everybody can see what's really happening. So what are the consequences of operating on top of our anger and sadness? Well, I shared with you a couple of mine that that uh, occurred, particularly in my early 20s. Um, I was doing, one, a lot of unhealthy things that uh, could have sabotaged me. I was, I was, when I was drinking too much, it was very embarrassing, very... Um, shameful. And it's not that I need to be embarrassed or ashamed about it. It's just that um, it was a letdown to some of the people that I did care about around me. And I can see now that, uh, you know, although I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, get into any major trouble and I didn't harm anyone necessarily, um, it still had a consequence in my life. It, it was something that I had to, you know, make peace with for myself and forgive myself in order to move to the next level and to step into my leadership. Um, for some people, if we don't address that pain, maybe this contributes to ongoing alcoholism. Um, another thing that I did on top of the anger and sadness, you know, through my, through my twenties, uh, and early 30s into a much lesser degree today, but still present, is that I just worked and worked and worked. And on top of that pain, and on top of that experience that, you know, I was never enough, I just worked and worked and worked. And it was always about the next achievement, um, the next amount of money, uh, pursuing safety, and this never enough thing that I think is on top of this pain you know, that was present um, in everything, not just the big stuff, not just like, okay, I'm going to run another marathon, but it was in, you know, did I answer all the emails in my inbox um, when I submitted an expense report? Was it absolutely perfect? Um, when I woke up in the morning, you know, did I sleep enough? You know, did I wake up five minutes too late? Did I wake up five minutes too early? Uh, it was in everything, you know? So that is really taxing. And I, the real tragedy is that if you look around, you see a bunch of people operating on top of this pain. And it's undistinguished. We're like, well, it was in the past. And they say, like I did, I'm, quote, over it. Meanwhile, it's wrecking their experience of life. It's wrecking their experience to be joyful it might be sabotaging their career, sabotaging their leadership, uh, sabotaging their very uh, highest-minded commitments in life. You know, when I, when I see a lot of the things that are happening in the country currently um, uh, with the Me Too movement, with, um, with Black Lives Matter, with this conversation about uh, gun control and mass gunmen, you know, underneath all of these, I just see so much pain and so much dysfunction. Um, and as a society, generally, we just kind of glaze over it. Um, we don't really talk about the underlying dysfunction or pain that is passed down through the generations that is reflected in our society currently. And I think step one is, you know, maybe step one is is saying no longer will we tolerate this. 
and we will look for a real solution. But I would have you consider that the real solution isn't in controlling the behavior. It's way before that. It's, it's at a human being level. How do we address the pain and dysfunction that's inside? Um, similarly with homelessness or the opiate crisis, it's like we're talking about, um, you know, the solution to homelessness as a temporary aid might be providing homes, might be, uh, you know, solution temporarily to the opiate crisis might be, you know, finding treatment centers that can get them off the drug so that they can survive. But we're missing the whole underbelly, which is what is the pain that someone is experiencing that they need to numb out to that level? What is the pain that someone is experiencing that has them need to or willing to die willing to put their life on the line just to numb out the pain that much. So that's a whole big shebang. That's a, 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 a really big picture, but I think it really illustrates what I'm talking about. And I hope that, I hope that this conversation, this episode, this podcast starts to shine the light on some of the demons that we're really working with here. And I hope it provides you um, an outlet um, in my own small way. So I want to talk about step one of this. And, you know, we've kind of looked at, you know, what, it, what does it look like to um, have your anger? What does it look like to kind of numb it out or numb out the sadness? Um, and then what does it look like to operate on top of that for years and years and years? And that shows up in a bunch of ways. It shows up in alcoholism. It shows up in workaholism. Uh, it shows up in feeling never enough. Uh, it shows up in abuse, uh, verbal, physical. Um, it shows up in domination. Um, it shows up in all kinds of ways. So, if operating on top of it has its own consequences, one opportunity is to move into a healing perspective and to not just be over it. Um, and in this example, we're using our absent father, but really you can apply this to anybody that um, caused you pain or you feel caused you pain. Um, so rather than being over it, how can we get to a place of forgiveness. Um, and forgiveness that we feel in our heart, in our soul, in a way that um, it feels actually forgiven, not just an intellectual conversation about forgiveness, or that we're the better person because we forgive. Now, for me, uh, forgiveness is a concept um, it's hard to grasp, actually. I know that it's simple. Everybody knows, like, I forgive you. It's kind of simple. Um, and it's the right thing to do. It's the nice thing to do. It's the, you know, Christian thing to do. Um, it's what good people do. They forgive. But I would have you consider, um, and I would have 
this isn't the only access, I don't think, but it's the one that has been most important for me, is that the true path to forgiveness is empathy. Um, and when we say empathy, it really means truly stepping in someone else's shoes um, and seeing the experience of life that they had and realizing, and I, I can say this with almost 100% certainty, that all the pain and the abuse and the uh, abandonment, it's not an accident. It's most all related to that person's experience of life. Um, there's a saying that uh, hurt people hurt people. And I think that's really true. And this doesn't mean to absolve people from responsibility, but when it comes to you, it means that this is an access to move forward with your life so that you're not operating on top of this anger and sadness. Now, what I, when I say empathy is the access, I, I want to tell you about my own father. And I don't know, I still don't know a lot about his upbringing. I don't know a lot about his past. Um, but I know a little bit. I got little doses of stories. And I can kind of put it together uh, from, you know, the little bit of information that I have. And I, I still am hoping to connect with my uncle I would really love to interview him for this podcast and just to put together, you know, both for me and for my sisters to put together, you know, what, what did occur. And a big reason for me having that conversation is really to just to understand what he went through, what his experience of life was. Um, and the idea is that I think that when we can understand another person, we can really get their experience no matter what side of the political aisle they're on, no matter what uh, horrible things that they have done, we can really get over there in the other person's experience. It, it provides access to forgiveness because we see their pain. We know what it's like to be in pain. We see their suffering. We know what it's like to be in suffering. So when it comes to my own father, as I shared with you, I kind of went from the first stage as a kid, you know, very young, kind of being angry and sad, uh, not really knowing how to express it, um, but saying, I'll, if I met him, I'd kick him in the balls, uh, to the second stage, which was basically operating on the top of it, just kind of intellectually telling myself I'm over it. I might have even said I forgave him, but what was really happening is I was just kind of intellectually um, making myself okay with it and choosing not to feel any feelings about it, uh, not to have any anger or sadness, and thus operating on top of it. And as we talked about, that has its own consequences. When we operate on top of pain, it comes out in some way. To the third place, which as I, you know, this is a simple explanation, but I think it does provide access. Uh, this is um, in addition to therapy, in addition to extraordinary coaching from some very amazing people, uh, in addition to mentoring, in addition to uh, 
a 12-step recovery program that I think really supports people with absent or distant parents as well uh, called Adult Children of Alcoholics, which really is a healing of your relationship to yourself and to a higher power. But anyway, the number one access I see, like I said, is empathy. And the way that that looks is, so from a unaware perspective, I was just like, you know, my dad wasn't there. What a jerk. What an asshole. How could you have a child and not be there for them? And there's not a person in the world, most likely, that would not agree that, you know, that was wrong of him and I was the victim. And from a certain place, that is true. But I think it's a very limited sense of the picture. So, you know, as I began to learn a little bit more about my father, as I began to learn a little bit more about myself and, um, and, and other people, I started to connect some of the dots to my father's upbringing. I started to think about him as a five-year-old, as an eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old. And some of the things that, you know, came together were, uh, uh, you know, these little stories. And like I said, I don't have a great picture of my father. I don't, I just, I didn't know him. I didn't see a picture of him until I was 13, but I started to piece together these little elements that sound just like interesting stories, but when you put it in context of, wow, how would that impact a human being? Um, In 1981, the year I was born, my father's father was murdered. Uh, He owned a business uh, in the St. Louis area, disgruntled employee, murdered him in 1981. That was the year I was born. How might that impact someone when their own father is murdered? And right when I was born. Um, And, uh, again, small stories, but what I gathered is my father's childhood was terrible. Uh, That at one point he was in foster care, uh, that he may have been physically and sexually and verbally abused. Um, you know, he grew up in a small, uh, let's say not thriving town in Northwest Arkansas. Um, and so if I just put those things together as well as, uh, you know, his other brother who I believe also passed away in the last five years, um, also young, you know, he was in and out of jail. Um, and that he was in and out of jail doesn't tell me that he's a bad person, Uh, may have made some bad choices that got him into trouble. But what it tells me is that he also grew up in a painful experience. And so when you hear that, when you kind of soak that in, you start to realize that, you know, the person to blame or the person to be upset with isn't my my father's parents but it's really this underbelly of dysfunction this underbelly of pain and fear and trauma that is passed down from generation to generation to generation and that lets me see my father for him as a human being as a hurt person 
And in many ways, to realize that my father may have done the most loving thing for me, uh, which was to be absent, the most loving thing that he was capable of at that time. And that, you know, there's a pretty predictable outcome for the majority of people who grew up in a very traumatic uh, environment. Um, Fortunately for me, uh, you know, I was pretty shielded from serious trauma, um, at least enough so that I could get to the place of believing that maybe I could interrupt this pattern of dysfunction. Maybe I could uh, heal. I had at least enough safety to wade into some environments that really supported me. So I'm going to wrap this episode up. It's a long episode. I hope you got something for it. And I I think that when you think about empathy as access to forgiveness and, uh, you know, how that shows up all over all the time, I hope it really supports you in, in letting go of, uh, letting go of the past, learning to forgive. And, you know, the example that I was going to use is just a really simple real world example. Uh, this is not just to make me feel better, but, but just to give me perspective. You know, I was on a, a flight flying home from San Diego this weekend and, uh, this person on the flight, you know, you're, you're boarding, uh, getting ready to deboard the plane, take off from the plane, right? And this person, you know, rushes through everybody. I'm sitting in row 18 and they're sitting in like 20. And, you know, the moment the the bell comes on, they're just rushing through, pushing everybody out of their way. And the first reaction, perhaps like many people is, what a jerk, like just wait in line. But then I remember, I have no idea what that person is experiencing. They could have just lost someone that they love. They could have been needing to get to the hospital to see somebody uh, that's that's there that they care about. Um, they might be going for the interview of their life for the dream job. We have no idea. And in those moments when I can just step back and, and think about, one, realize that I don't know what that person is experiencing, and two, to connect with um, the larger uh, hurts in our life and to remember that hurt people hurt people. And so if we can reel it back, uh, I think that empathy is access to true forgiveness. And I just would challenge you to take a look at the people in your life who you feel most hurt you, who were really crappy. And this is not to excuse them. This is for you. Um, just take a look. What do you know about their past? How were they raised? How were they hurt and traumatized? Because the only option that most hurt and traumatized people have is to hurt and traumatize others. So thank you very much for listening. I hope to hear your your comments and feedback. Again, this is the Absent Father podcast where we talk about the impacts, the uh, ways to overcome them, and the superhero powers that we create as a result of growing up with an absent or distant father. Again, I'm Rodney Miller. You can get me at rodneymiller.com. How I pronounce it is Rodney Miller. It's spelled M-U-E-L-L-E-R. You'll also see it in the show notes. You can also email me. I'd love to hear from you at me, M-E, at rodneymiller.com. 
Uh, and finally, please rate and review the podcast if you are enjoying it on iTunes. It's also now available on Google Play. Until next time.